This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Neil Schaffer. He's just written what I think is going to be a tremendous bestseller. The Age of Influence, The Power of Influencers to Elevate Your Brand. Neil, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Um, so, first of all, give people a little bit of your background. Sure. So, well, before social media, uh, I was in primarily B2B sales, business dev and marketing in technology, actually in Asia, uh, selling semiconductors, then embedded software came back to the United States, moved into network management software, worked for a company that actually was a big contractor to the U.S. military. And uh, it was really, it's funny because, you know, we had our last recession about 12 years ago. And it was 12 years ago where I began this new second career in social media, beginning as a blogger in 2008, writing my first book about LinkedIn 2009, getting my first speaking engagement then. And then in January of 2010, I had four different companies in four different industries reach out to me for help with their social media marketing, and I launched a consultancy and, and really haven't looked back. So I have written a few books. My uh, latest is called The Age of Influence, just came out in March. That's my fourth book about influence marketing. I obviously have a, an agency and consultancy called PDCA Social, helping brands with their you know, digital social media marketing strategy. Uh, also, actually teach at a few universities, teach executives digital and social media marketing at Rutgers Business School. And I uh, do a lot of speaking. I consider myself sort of an educator. Um, so even when I engage with businesses, I really want to help them be able to internalize everything uh, so that um, you know I can help as many companies as possible. Cool. What got you interested in the influencer side of thing? I, I know how it kind of ties in to your social media background, particularly LinkedIn. So, Mark, it's funny you asked that. You know, before we started this podcast, my single most important question was about your audience, right? And it's a similar thing where everything I do, because I started this business from scratch and I started it based on customer demand, everything I do has to serve the customer. So that's why I began with a consultancy. Uh, that's why after I wrote my first book about LinkedIn and online networking, I started to get more requests for how to use LinkedIn for business. So my second book was about that. My third book was all about social media strategy, social media ROI. Um, that was the number one question I was getting asked at the time. So it's really over the last two or three years after I speak, the number one question I've been getting asked is really about influencers and influencer marketing. It's not just how to leverage influencers, but it's also I've had some marketers say, Neil, how do I become an influencer uh, in my own industry. So, uh, you know, I, I, as I was doing more research on the subject, Mark, I realized that this is an area where there's an ex extreme miseducation in terms of how marketers, both B2C and B2B, and obviously, you know, government or nonprofit or whatever industry you're in, should be viewing influencers. And the more research I did, the more I realized there was this big gap in the market that somebody has to set the record straight on not only how to leverage influencers, how to define influence, but also how compelling they can be as part of your marketing mix. Cool. Then, then that obviously leads to 
what exactly is influencer marketing? Yeah, so, you know, the concept of influence has been around for a while, right? You know, a celebrity endorsement was a type, you could say the earliest types of influencer marketing. Well, what's happened is people watch less TV, spend more time on the internet. Um, people read less newspaper, get influenced by fake news and social media or, or whatever they see in social media. So influence has really changed, especially over the last decade. You could say the internet began that. We have all these sites on the internet that just that influence us that didn't exist before the internet. And now we have influencers. And I think it's really when we look at our uh, younger generations, especially my kids, you know, they're influenced by people that, you know, I've never heard of. A lot of you might not have heard of either, uh, you know, on TikTok, on Instagram, on YouTube. So we have this concept that, you know, anybody who can yield influence online. Now, here's two things, right? When I talk about influencer marketing, I'm talking about people that have online influence. And I'm talking about in order to have online influence, you need to be at some point creating content. That's how you yield influence. You have a YouTube channel. You have an Instagram channel with your content. You have a podcast. Um, you have a blog. Uh, there are people out there that are just very active in social. They share a lot of content. They curate a lot of content. But at the end of the day, it's the people who create the content that end up yielding the most influence. So you have content creators and all these people have a community. Now, what's really interesting is in the traditional B2C influencer marketing industry, they used to determine influence by number of followers. And they still do, although obviously it's easy to buy followers in any given social network. But now they're talking more about micro and nano influencers. A micro influencer is someone that has at least 10,000 followers. A nano influencer is someone that has at least 1,000 followers. So when you look at it that way, you start to look around and say, wow, I have 1,000 connections on LinkedIn. I have 1,000 Twitter followers. Uh, you know, Joe at work has 1,000 followers on Instagram. Mary, you know, she also has 1,500 followers on Instagram. So when you begin to look around, you realize that influence has become more and more democratized because more and more of us are participating in social media. More and more of us, you know, we post a photo uh, on Instagram, you know, we become a content creator. So digital influence is everywhere. Some people obviously have more influence than others. And some people have more contextual influence. So if you want to influence a certain industry, um, you know, someone with fewer followers may have more influence than one of the Kardashians who have a lot of followers, but it may not be relevant in a niche B2B industry. But I will say, Mark, another thing about influences, this is something from my B2B sales days, right? There were already influencers out there. These were, you know, system integrators, value-added resellers. Sometimes the semiconductor manufacturers would provide leads for my embedded software. So any other entity outside of your company that can help you do business, right? Market sales. That's really an influencer even before influencer marketing. And, and, and even today, I do insurance sales training for social selling. So I work with insurance salespeople of one of the largest insurance firms. And the first time I went in there a few years ago, they were talking about centers of influence. I'm like, are you all doing influencer marketing here? And they go, no, Neil, centers of influence are people in our community that can help us find leads. They are <laughs> bankers, right? Bankers, financial advisors. So now not all those people are, uh, are you know, have big communities online, but if some do, they're now what you might be able to consider a digital influencer. So that's really the best way to look at it. It's not just the YouTuber, the TikToker, the Instagrammer. It's anybody online that if you were to access their network, if they were to talk about you, would that help your business or not? That's really the single most important way of defining it. And once you look at it this way, 
It's like the pharmaceutical brand that I talked to. Now they realize that nonprofits are huge influencers. If they want to reach communities of people that have certain conditions, the nonprofits own them, right? So why wouldn't they leverage nonprofits as influencers? And this is the way you think about it. When you think about it holistically, right? Yes, you're doing everything you can. You're doing your digital marketing. You're doing your SEO, your content marketing, your, your social media marketing, your Facebook ads. When you look outside of that, you begin to go, wow, I can partner and collaborate and do it the old-fashioned way, you know, the old-school way of networking and collaborating with people online and receive tremendous benefit without having to pay Facebook a dollar in some cases, without even having to create your own content. Yeah, and your LinkedIn training. I do a lot of LinkedIn training in the GovCon market. So for the LinkedIn training, I, I tell people that question number one always is, should I, I buy you know, Sales Navigator? And mm-hmm. my answer consistently is, no, not until you maximize the value of the free part of the platform, then you migrate up. But until that time, there's no uh, indication that you're going to leverage that. Yeah, no, I, and that would be my advice 100% as well. There's so much we can do for free with a little bit of you know, creative thinking and reaching out to people that we can find with the free search. So yeah, these are all, you know, there's a, a lot of marketers think, well, if I pay for this tool, it makes my life easier. But you know, the tool is only so good as the understanding you have of how to use that tool. And there are many things we can do for free through these types of partnerships that, that I would classify as influence marketing without having to pay anyone any money. Exactly. We're going to take our first break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'll be back with Neil right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here with Neil Schaffer. You can find him at Neil, N-E-A-L, Schaffer, S-C-H-A-F-F-E-R, neilschaffer.com. And I'll repeat that later on so you don't have to write it down right now. You can write it down later. I want to take a deeper dive, Neil, into the types of influencers. I've been having online discussions on LinkedIn about this with several people. But you narrow it down. So please run through that list and give me the criteria for each. Sure. So, you know, like I said, the, the part of the miseducation I've seen is that the traditional influencer marketing industry is very much centered around Instagram, right? So with that in mind, they have defined influencers by number of followers. So I went into that, you know, you have celebrities, macro influencers, mid-tier, micro, nano depending on the number of followers. So let's just say, you know, I think for our conversation today, um, let's just say between one and 10,000 followers is considered nano and between 10 to 50,000 followers is considered micro. Now these were based on Instagram, but we could relate them to other platforms. Now the way that I look at influencer marketing goes above and beyond that because you can reach out to someone. I I give a great example. I come out with a new book, right? And the main thing I want to try to do with my new book is to try to get reviews on Amazon. So I could reach out to someone on Instagram that has 100,000 followers and pay them some money, and they're going to post a photo of them holding my book. How many reviews do you think I'm going to get from that, right? First of all, that person, probably I don't know that person. That person doesn't know me. And because they don't know me, chances are it's going to be a one-time transaction, right? And they probably do this with a lot of different brands, They probably post a lot of different photos. Maybe I'll be able to find someone that specializes in business books, but normally on Instagram, they're more like lifestyle influencers. So let's look at it the other way though. So the way I like to look at it in my book, and I tie together some things you might've heard of, 
things like employee advocacy and brand advocacy. But the way I look at it is, look, you know, if we can define nano influence as someone with a thousand followers, there's probably a lot of people that already like, know, and trust us to some degree that we can collaborate with, right? So who has the most brand affinity? Who has the most like, know, and trust for us? Probably our employees because their livelihood is tied to our company. So let's start with our employees. And really interesting, LinkedIn Sales Navigator has one really, really nice functionality, which you can get when you do a test. But LinkedIn Sales Navigator will show for any given company who are the people that work at that company that have posted in the last 30 days. And if you're able to just spy on someone else's sales navigator, you don't have to do it yourself. But that'll give you an idea of, okay, we have a thousand employees. And I'm usually, I don't know, it's maybe between 10 to 25%. So a hundred of these employees have actually posted. They're actually creating content. They're actually active on LinkedIn. So that's a really, really good starting point as far as employees is to, you know, dig a little bit deeper. Hey, we notice you're active on LinkedIn. We'd like to have an open discussion with you, right? On how we might be able to collaborate with each other. So that's the employees. Well, what about people or companies in your ecosystem? The insurance salespeople that were talking about financial planners and accountants. Uh, my example of, you know, the uh, embedded software, looking at semiconductor manufacturers and system integrators and value-added resellers and distributors. They're, they're all potential influencers. So what about them? And an influencer can be a company. Mostly they're people, but some companies, obviously, if they have a large following, have influence online as well. Then we look at our customers. Imagine that, people that love us. They'd love to work together with us, right? So yeah, you can offer them a 10% off coupon or preferential terms in the contract. Why don't you see what you might be able to collaborate on even further from that? And then when we get beyond that, what about our followers on social media? Sometimes we go into our followers and we find that, wow, there's influencers that are already following us. You know, if, if you never look in there every once in a while, you miss it. And then if we want to go even further, this requires the use of like a social listening tool, but we can use a social listening tool to find people that have mentioned us, but are not a customer and don't follow us. And there, there's always those people out there, right? And these people, because they mentioned us, there's some brand affinity, we can include them as well. So you now have a pool of influencers with different degrees of brand affinity that you can start to do a little bit of research on and reach out to. You'll notice I did not mention, you know, all these other people that companies will go to marketplaces and they, you know, agencies will introduce them, you know, based on follower. They may not even know you exist. They may, may not even like your company, right? So don't waste your time with them. Start with people that already know, you know, deepen those relationships. And they're going to be able to say the best things about your company. So getting back to my Amazon book review, who did I reach out to? Well, people that reviewed previous books of mine. Why wouldn't I reach out to them, right? People that pre-ordered my book. They waited a year for me to publish The Age of Influence. They're prime people to reach out to to ask for an interview. What about, you know, I know you had David Meerman Scott uh, on your show. So, you know, other authors, other influential authors that might have endorsed my book why not reach out to those people as well, seeing if they might write a review on Amazon. When I spoke at Social Media Marketing World before the lockdown started two months ago, everybody who asked me a question at the end of my presentation, I gave them a free copy of the book saying I'd love if you review it. They already have an interest. They sat through an hour of me speaking. They stood for a few minutes asking a question. And obviously, I know that they have a need for this and they're influential because they're at a social media conference, right? So, there's already a little bit of like, no interest. So these are the things to think about. And if you can find that right mix of people who already know and like your company, 
and they have some amount of activity and influence in social media, that's a really, really great place to start. Cool. And this also reminds me that I haven't written a review for you on Amazon yet. I'll take take care of that later today. (laughs) No worries. That's not what the intent of that was. And I understand that, you know, people have stuff going on in their lives. But, um, you know, if you do, here's the thing, Mark, you know this in business. If you, it's about karma, right? It's about doing good things for other people. For me to send a copy of my book out costs, it's a business card, a book, right? But yeah. for some people, it, it, it's a godsend. And, you know, when I wrote my first book on LinkedIn back in 2009, I mentioned this as well. Um, I, you know, I posted something on LinkedIn. Well, maybe it wasn't LinkedIn, it was Twitter. But I posted that now you can easily transfer your Facebook photos to Google Photos. And it's like, I saw this in a few places. So to me, I was just like sharing it, right? Thinking my audience might be interested. And, and one person, you know, thank you so much. I had no idea. It's, you know, sometimes little bits of information or things that you know that other people don't can have extreme value, right? And this is what these relationships get down to. And there's a lot of value you can offer them. It's not necessarily money, sometimes products, sometimes exclusive events or just, you know, free customer support there's, or a dedicated line, you know, phone number for customer support. There's so many different things you can do to incentivize people to become part of your program. Yeah, I mean, it, it, let's, let's go back to how we hooked up. I think your publisher sent me an announcement about this and didn't I reach out to you through them? I believe so. Yeah. And like three days later I get a book in the mail. How cool (laughs) was that? And, and you know, that's what I wanted. I wanted to read the book. Uh, You know, the title of the book, you know, I pretty much knew it was a slam dunk that I'd want you on the show. So you, you really never know. And, you know, I'm known by a couple of publicists because I do interview authors, uh, business, particularly marketing authors, uh, on a fairly regular basis. It's not my bread and butter, but when a book resonates with me, I like to get the author on here. And if none of you can tell out there, I am a fan of this book, and I'm just letting Neil answer the questions as long as he wants. So the next question would be, um, are subject matter experts necessarily influencers? So a subject matter expert, if they're an expert, they've probably been publishing their work somewhere, right? Or they've spoken on a topic somewhere at an event or something. So subject matter experts have the potential to be what I would determine an influencer because influence is about digital influence. It's about having a profile and having a following where you're considered an expert on something. So Here's the thing I find, Mark, that a lot of subject matter experts who don't get social media lose out on the opportunity. They speak at events. They may be published somewhere online, not on their own property, but maybe, who knows, Harvard Business Review or what have you. But they've never translated that into their own online community. And actually, if you're already a subject matter expert, it's not that difficult to translate that into a digital community so that people can find you people can engage with you, people can consume more of your content. It's really a no-brainer to do. I don't know why every subject matter expert wouldn't try to become more influential online because as you gain expertise, you probably have an end goal, whether it's for your career, whether it's just to serve more people, whatever it is, you know, being online and yielding more digital influence is only going to help your objective. So yes, most subject matter experts who do anything online 
should become influential if they do it right. But if you, you know, launch a LinkedIn accounting, you don't post there for a year and you don't connect with people, then even though you're a subject matter expert and you have a LinkedIn profile, it probably yields very little influence. You've talked about how, how people can identify the influencers. How do you determine what you want to do with them? Content, co-creation, creation, guest blogging, events. What, what's your criteria here? Well, so in the book, I have a dedicated chapter on, as I was doing research in all these case studies, I realized there were, you know, 15, 16, 17, it, it sort of changes, but there's a, there's a number of different types of campaigns or programs in which companies have leveraged influencers for. But I, I think you really need to take a step back and say, okay, what is our strategy for marketing this year? What are we trying to achieve? And, you know, what are the other things that we're doing in marketing? And therefore, of all these things, where can we plug influencers into those programs? So when you think about what you do in marketing, you probably have a blog or you should have a blog. So maybe we can do interviews, you know, whatever way you create content, whether it's YouTube videos, a podcast or blogs, there's ways of obviously inviting influencers to post on your sites or to interview them is, you know, that's the, this content creation, content co-creation, or to do a roundup post where you reach out to 10 influencers. And, you know, here's the thing, right? They could be employees. You could work for a productivity software company. And we asked, you know, 10 of our, you know, influencer employees, what they personally use for productivity. And this is really great content because it's sort of coming from in-house experts. And obviously, assuming these employees have some digital reach, they're going to share that to their friends. And therefore, you get this, you know, built-in amplification for, for your brand. So, you know, the, the other way to look at it as is, I mentioned, you know, that we have the roundup posts where you, you ask, you know, 10, 20, 30 different people for a paragraph or a sentence. We have, you know, the interview. We can source their content. And when I talked about sourcing content, I talked about, you know, blog or video. But what's really interesting is that B2C companies are leveraging this a lot in visual networks like Instagram, where they're just posting other people's content. They're, they're posting, you know, their, their fans' content or people who talk about them, you know, photos with certain hashtags. And the whole idea here is that we want to incite word-of-mouth marketing. And we were always told that social media marketing was the best way to do that. And the reality is, well, yes and no, because, you know, the algorithms really don't favor businesses anymore. Uh, in fact, they've never, you know, favored businesses. It's pay-to-play. But people can get really, really good engagement. So if you want to incite word-of-mouth, you got to work through people and you got to have a collaboration in which people would want to talk about your brand. And this is where we get into, well, send them a free copy of a book, right? Or send them free product. That, that's an easy way to start to get people talking about you online. So my advice here is also depending on, are you a startup? Are you trying to enter a new territory? Are you the number one market share? You're trying to, you know, you're trying to retain your market share, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But that content, you know, creation, co-creation, I think that's a really, really easy way of thinking about, you know, how to work with influencers. And then we get, you know, outside of your marketing, we talked about the blog. You also have the social media piece. Well, can we source content from influencers for social media or can we collaborate with them where they might amplify our content in social media? And then okay. we look at the other marketing things you do. You get into content marketing like eBooks or things like webinars or events, and we can invite influencers to speak at our events. Okay, hold, hold, that, Neil, hold that thought. I want to get into events in a, okay. in a little deeper way. We're going to All take right. a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center. 
on the Federal News Network. I'll be back with Neil and events and uh, engaging with influencers right after this. Welcome back to Tower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm going to let Neil take over again from where he was talking about uh, co-creation of content, guest blogging, and I think you were just getting ready to talk about leveraging uh, influencers for events. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, there's a lot of different ways to leverage influencers. And as I said, what are you doing in marketing? You know, look at your current marketing promotion activities, and that's going to give you a lot of ideas as to how you can leverage influencers. I think one of the most powerful ways of leveraging influencers, and this is something that uh, we talked about before broadcasting here, Mark, are events. And events are, you know, whether you're B2B or B2C, there's a way to use events. And most companies do events, whether you're the startup B2C brand that has like a pop-up store, which are very, very popular with Instagram influencers, or you have these traditional conferences that you attend, they're, you know, events bring people together. And with this current pandemic, these events obviously are primarily virtually, but if you were to put on an event, why wouldn't you want an influencer to speak at your event, right? Because if they speak at your event, chances are that they're going to promote the fact that they're speaking your event, even if it's a virtual event. So this is one easy way to leverage influencers. Obviously, that content you can repurpose, right, once the event is done. But this is a really easy way to leverage influencers. And even if you don't want them to speak, because maybe you want only you know, the CEOs of, of your sponsors or, or other people to speak, you can use them as uh, panelists or moderators for panels if you don't want them to yield that much influence on stage, depending on your event. At a minimum, you can merely invite influencers to attend your event. If they need an invitation to attend or if it costs money, give them a free ticket knowing that a lot of them may promote your event while they're there or tell other people that they're going to be attending the event. So events offer a really golden opportunity, even if they're virtual. And we've seen some really, really unique ways in which brands have leveraged influencers for events. I know, uh, Mark, you were fond of, of you know, one particular case study, but there's a second case study I talk about, which is Adobe Summit. You know, I don't know what the final number of influencers they invited. It might have been a few dozen. But Adobe every year does the Adobe Summit. It was in Las Vegas. And basically, in full transparency, because I was one of the influencers they invited, they paid for airfare. They paid for transportation, uh, you know, when you got there, got a hotel room. And I think there might have been a small daily stipend, right? But it's not a lot of money because the top, I believe, seven influencers generated millions and millions of dollars worth of impressions, during the Adobe Summit using their hashtag. So immediately, you know, you invite influencers, they talk about where they're at, and you're just getting massive amounts of free advertising from them for a very, very small amount of travel expenses. Um, and, you know, Adobe said, hey, if you want to interview people, they actually had um, a, uh, we were able to interview, uh, it was at a different Adobe Summit called Marketo Nation. We were actually able to interview the CMO at the time. Uh, but Adobe Summit did allow me to interview people that were in charge of Adobe Social, which is their social media product. So you really want to open up, you know, yourself. They had free concerts. I think Third Eye Blind did a, did a free concert for attendees that we were able to attend. So, you know, this notion of providing an experience is reasons why companies do events. It brings people together. You get the deeper relationships with your customers and prospects. It's the same thing with influencers. So now we're seeing a lot of B2C brands that will, you know, there's one that I use in presentations now from a B2C company called Fresh Cosmetics. 
where they flew influencers to Cambodia. And so they did a full on photo shoot in Cambodia. And you can imagine as an influencer, you have this unique experience. It deepens your relationship with the brand, um, you know, and it truly makes you a brand advocate rather than someone. And what I mean by brand advocate is they talk about that brand, even if they're not asked to, because they become a true fan and you're able to deepen relationships with influencers and influencers deepen relationships with each other as part of your community. And you do begin to generate community from influence. So with the pandemic, it's really hard to provide that unique physical experience. But when this pandemic is over, this is a really great way to engage. But it's all around experiential events is really the, the unifying thing that I'm talking about here. And that power vis-a-vis -vis leveraging and deepening relationships with influencers. Yeah, the experiential side is irreplaceable. So have you seen instances where the virtual experiential comes anywhere near as close to the actual face-to-face? -face. Yeah, so, you know, obviously, depending on your uh, objective, but webinars still work very well, <laughs> without a doubt, uh, even in this day and age. Now we see what are called virtual summits, where they'll get like 20 influencers together to provide like 20 hours of content. But in the book, I talk about a specific case study from VMware who are providers of B2B software. And VMware, this was their European conference a year or two ago, and they realized that not everybody in Europe could come to Barcelona for their event. And what VMware figured out was, well, you know what? Why don't we you know, reach out to these people that can't come and try to figure out a way to leverage them? And what they ended up doing was they ended up leveraging some of the people from their community, their online community that regularly engages with them, um, what they were able to do was leverage them to become moderators of basically a Twitter chat that ran during the entire conference. Uh, and through that, they were able to engage virtually all these people that couldn't attend the event. And some of these people were actual VMware fans, and some of them were VMware prospects. And there's a number of different KPIs that they used but they were able to, you know, increase brand awareness and increase engagement on their content from people that were not actually physically at the event. And I think this is something that really any company can do. And this is why, you know, when I consult with companies, if you're going to do an event at a minimum, hire an influencer to become a tweeter or whatever it is, pay them money to work for the day to help you spread the word. This is the easiest way I can think of the leverage influencers if you're not ready to have them speak at your event. Okay, let me let me spin this in a slightly different direction, and it wasn't part of our original schedule here, but are there a lot of people out there who are influencers who don't quite understand that they are and certainly didn't plan to get there? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, you may not think you're an influencer until someone reaches out to you on Instagram with a pitch or someone reaches out to your website saying, we'd love to get a link from you or we want to submit a guest blog post. And the intent of them doing that is to get a link from your website. So people probably have more influence than they think. And when you look, when you start getting pinged, even by one person, then you're already on the radar of one person because they have determined that you have some influence that they want to tap into. So this is the easiest way. If you have people contacting you on LinkedIn saying they'd love to interview you, right? Um, now, they could be interviewing you purely because they consider you a subject matter expert. They could also see that, huh, 
this person looks like they get a lot of engagement on their LinkedIn posts. This person might have a website. They may consider you an influencer in their industry without your even knowing it. So that is really the, the, the telltale sign that someone considers you're an influencer. Even if they haven't reached out to you though, you know, you have tremendous influence. If you were to talk about a product, do you think other people would check out that product? This is really another uh, way of thinking about, you know, if, if you've talked about a product in the past or an experience or an event or something, and you've had all, all sorts of people come and say, hey, I'm going to check that out. Or, hey, thanks for the info. I'm going to, I'm going to click on that link. That is influence, right? So these are the things you need to think about. And the thing about influencer marketing and, and for looking at it from the influencer side, and one of the final chapters I sort of tap into this, the more influence you have, the bigger your influence becomes. It's sort of like this uh, tumbleweed effect. So if you have influence, you absolutely want to leverage it. Otherwise, in the words of every sales manager I've had, you're leaving money on the table. Yeah. I've interviewed a variety of people on my show. Do you know Regis McKenna by any chance? I don't. Okay. Regis is the guy who helped Steve Jobs and Wozniak put Apple on the map. He was the marketing guru behind all of the initial campaigns, told them to blow off telling about the uh, tech specs and start telling the story. And he was really uh, Steve Jobs' mentor in that storytelling approach. I had Regis on my show two years ago. He was one of the most gracious guests. Ken Blanchard, one of the most gracious guests I've ever had. Without naming people, I've had a couple of very high level, uh, high visibility people on the market. And you could tell all they were doing on the other end of the call was drinking their Kool-Aid. You know what I mean? So how, how much does having the enthusiasm and that willingness to share and the excitement of sharing play in becoming a higher level influencer? Well, yeah, you bring up a really, really great point, Mark, because, you know, influence is based on the fact that you've been able to build relationships with a lot of people. Let's put it that way. And if you have been able to build relationships with a lot of people, this means that basically they like you, like, know, and trust, right? And if they like you, it means that at some point, you know, when they engage with you, you engage back with them, or you're not just always like self-promoting yourself. I'm the same way. I see people out there. It's like, man, this is just blatant self-promotion. Why do people even like this person? But, but yeah, I think that the more human you are, the more authentic you are, the more transparent, vulnerable, there's all these keywords that a lot of us use in marketing these days. It does help you resonate with more people and it will help you build your influence. If you are just drinking your own Kool-Aid, I think people can see through that, right? Now, if, you know, if you're, same thing goes with if you're an influencer talking about brands, like you're really excited that someone is, you know, is paying you a little bit of money to post something. But if it looks like a blatant advertisement, people are going to see through it. In fact, they may even unfollow you at some point because you're being exploited as a follower, as being part of this community that this influencer is monetizing. However, if you know this influencer has always responded to your comments and questions, if you really dig how they share their life story, um, how they describe things, and then every once in a while you see something like that, like you know some sort of collaboration with a brand, you're not going to think as negative on them. Same goes with self-promotion, right? If you only self-promote once in a while, it's like, sure, I want to help you because you've given me so much value. I want to support you. you know, tell me how I can support you. 
But if you're always drinking your own Kool-Aid and self-promoting, then yeah, it's going to be a lot harder. You know, you might be able to build a following in terms of numbers, but in terms of how deep of engagement you're going to get, it's going to pale in comparison to those that generate a more human connection. Great. We're going to take a break. I'll wrap up with Neil right after this. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. Back in a minute. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center. I'm here today with Neil Schaffer. Uh, you can, again, find Neil at N-E-A-L-S-C-H-A-F-F-E-R.com, neilschaffer.com. Neil, I, I want to throw out a different question. You, you have an experience, at, you have strong experience in the IT market, OEM, uh, the distributor side, the reseller side, uh, both as a consultant and as a worker bee. So... In 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 the context, and you've talked about Adobe and VMware, in the context of these companies, can you take a deeper dive on how they should be or could be leveraging that influencer side? Um, so just run. Sure. So, you know, if, if I was in that market, um, you know, from a marketing perspective, we want to influence an audience, right? So who are, and this is actually a really, really good exercise because I'm doing this right now with one of my clients who are a B2B software company. Now they have a unique product, which is very timely because it helps remote workforces more efficiently develop software. So (laughs) (laughs) imagine that, right? Yeah. We are going full speed ahead with everything that we're doing, you know, digitally. Um, But, you know, one of the things is, and so this would be my advice to everyone listening as well. Um, what can we do vis-a-vis influencers? Let's first of all, let's start to do some keyword searches, right? For our product name, for, you know, the keywords that would describe what we do, or if people were looking for information on our product, you know, what, what uh, things would they put in? Like, you know, software development, development efficiency. There's, you know, all sorts of keywords we can think of. Let's start to do some searches on a Twitter, on a LinkedIn. When we talk about B2B, it's obviously going to be more LinkedIn and Twitter. There might be some Facebook, but um, you know, we're probably going to find more on LinkedIn and Twitter. And we can openly search through and see you know, who's talking about these, right? Or who has these things in their title. So this is what you would do in sales, but we could also think about it from a marketing perspective. Who are talking about these things? So once we know who's talking about it, we can dig a little bit deeper. Who are these people, right? You're going to find some might be independent consultants, but as independent consultants, they've been able to build influence from their previous customers. And they've been doing a lot of what we would call inbound marketing, right? Creating a lot of content and getting a lot of inbound uh, search traffic and, and social media traffic. So these are some people we might be able to reach out to. We might find that some of our competitors are talking about these keywords. We want to ignore them. Uh, we might find that there are resellers, system integrators, uh, potential partners uh, in our industry or maybe in other industries that are also talking about this that might be interesting to talk about a potential collaboration around. So you're going to find different types of entities, right? And depending on that different type of entity, that's going to be how you are going to be obviously, you know, approaching them for how you might be able to collaborate. Um, we can also do searches on Google, right? And we might be able to find bloggers that are talking about it. We can do searches on YouTube because yes, there is a lot more B2B videos than you might think. So who might be talking about our subject there? So we're going to be able to create a list. And yes, it requires a little bit of work to sort of vet people, but this is an easy way to see who is talking about a subject that's relevant to your business and therefore 
who might be yielding influence over communities that you want to tap into. And this is really the key thing here. So once you develop that, um, you begin to have, you know, you begin to find the top 10, 20, whoever it is, you begin to reach out to them and, and have one-on-one -on -one collaborations of how you might be able to work together, right? How do they prefer to work with brands? Have they even heard of your brand? And before you reach out to them, are they following you? Uh, are they potentially already in your CRM? This is a, uh, you know, a missing link a lot of companies do. Um, you know, hell, they may already have the know, like, and trust without your knowing it, in which case it becomes a lot easier to collaborate with them. So, you know, there's sort of a science and an art. The science is, yes, you can technically try to find these people. The art is, well, once you find them, number one, you know, what the heck are you going to do with them? Number two, how are you going to reach out to them, right? Uh, and that's really the best thing here is experience. Uh, obviously, there, there are, you know, agencies you can hire, you can hire, you know, consultants like myself, what have you. But like anything else, Mark, I don't know how you teach social, but I say it's muscle memory, man. It's the more you do, the better you become at it, but you need to get some baseline experience. Um, and, you know, whether you want to hire someone to help accelerate that or do it yourself, without that experience, you're, you're, you're always going to have that big question mark. It's sort of like social media marketing 10 years ago, where companies were not investing money in it, even though those of us that are active knew the ROI of it, right? And once companies sort of tapped their foot in the water, you know, their toe in the water, I should say, they began to see the ROI in investing more. I think it's the exact same thing with this concept of influencer marketing. Cool. Final thoughts. You know, um, at the end of the day, you're trying to engage with people that work at the government, but you're, you're trying to engage with, it, with the community, right? What, who are influencing these people? Who are influencing the buyers? Who are influencing people within the organizations that you need to sell to? What are they reading? Who do they follow, right? And maybe these are conversations that your salespeople can be having with them, right? But if you can figure out that little bit of information, you are on your way to figuring out who are the people that you need to be engaging with in order to influence them. Because that is, at the end of the day, is really what it's all about. But what you're going to find is that everybody is influenced by different people and that influence is all over the place. And, you know, yeah, it might be this Facebook page of a million followers that they see something on, but it might be something in their LinkedIn stream that they happen to click on. You never know where the influence is going to um, become something that that leads to business, right? It, it, it can happen uh, with just one little click. So with that in mind, um, you know, talk to your, your, your end customer if you can. Try to figure out what influences them. Do some keyword searches. Start to sort of map out in your industry who are those entities that seem to be yielding digital influence and, you know, reach out to them. Try to figure out a way to collaborate. Cool. The book is The Age of Influence, The Power of Influencers to Elevate Your Brand. The author, Neil Schaffer, uh, neilschaffer.com, N-E-A-L-S-C-H-A-F-F-E-R. Neil, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It was an honor, and I really wish everybody the best of luck in this. Uh, I was probably going to have you back just so we can brainstorm for an hour on LinkedIn. Uh, th this is fun. not my... Thanks. This is not my day job. I advise companies on all aspects of marketing to the government, but I've been specializing the last several years in LinkedIn and social selling, content marketing, differentiation, and building a subject matter expert platform. So if these resonate, drop me a line at markamtower at gmail.com. And thanks for listening to Amtower Off Center.
This episode is sponsored in part by U.S. Bank Visa Platinum Card. You're the boss of your own life, but are you the boss of your own finances? Here at The Jordan Harbinger Show, we don't shy away from real-life conversations, and of course, one of the most taboo topics is always finances. U.S. Bank offers a wide range of credit cards for a wide variety of financial needs, and one of its most useful cards is the U.S. Bank Visa Platinum Card. With a low introductory APR for 20 billing cycles, this card is a tool for getting ahead. The U.S. Bank Visa Platinum Card is a savvy financial tool for large purchases, unexpected expenses, and balance transfers, and with the ability to customize your payment date, this card gives you control over your financial future. Apply now at usbank.com slash platinum. With the U.S. Bank Visa Platinum Card, have peace of mind for all your financial needs. To see if you qualify, visit usbank.com slash platinum. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. Some people were made to follow the instructions. We were made to make our own. To always measure twice and never cut corners. Unless, of course, we've got a compound miter saw. Northern Tool and Equipment is a problem solver's paradise. There's nothing we can't find, fix, or figure out together. We're made for this. Start solving your projects today at northerntool.com.